Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. If you need a Bible, please put a hand up and a volunteer is going to bring you a copy of God's Word. If you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. Take it home. We're in Acts chapter 2. It is Pentecost Sunday. I'm going to explain, break down the word and meaning of Pentecost for those of us who are newer to church. But it's a big, exciting day. And we're going to read the story of what makes Pentecost so great. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, 1 through 13 on page 905. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on just one or two of them. The Holy Spirit's not for everybody. He's just for the really special super Christians. Did I read it right? Oh, I messed it up again? You guys are so mean to me. Anyway settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely Amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee. So, a little cultural background. If you take your Western, Midwestern, or Northeastern prejudices about the Deep South, you could apply that to Judean prejudices about Galilee. Okay? So, from Podunk, from Nowheresville, from the Sticks. We know these guys are from the sticks. They're NASCAR hats. I'm going to get in trouble for that one. Um, and yet they are speaking fluent French without a drawl. Okay, so something miraculous is happening. And the other one is speaking Swahili perfectly. And the other one is speaking Japanese perfectly. There's no way these guys, these are not educated folks. What is going on? Okay. And then... Melissa was courageous and tried to make her way through these pronunciations, so I, I can't, you know, quit now. I have to try it, too. Uh, here we are, verse 9. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, watch your mouth, you're in church, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. Side note, does God miraculously allow you to proclaim how awesome you are? Right? The flesh wants to exalt self. The Holy Spirit pours out his power to do what? To exalt God. Should not be shocked. Should not be surprised. This is why we don't ask God, please bless my agenda. We say, God, reveal your agenda so that we can get on the same page with you. Verse 12, they stood there amazed and perplexed this is the second time we've heard the word perplexed. That's, that means something. What can this mean, they asked each other. 
But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, it's five o'clock somewhere. (laughs) Holy Spirit, we ask you to teach us your word today, please. God, we want to declare again that in our flesh, apart from your movement, we can and we will sit through another sermon unchanged, including me who's preaching it. We want to be affected by your goodness and your mercy that's gonna be revealed in this text. Oh, you didn't have to come, but you did. You did not have to fill your church with your very self, but you did. You didn't have to empower us for righteousness and for proclamation of the gospel, but you did. Show us these things that our minds would be more aligned with what is true, that our hearts would be overflowing with worship, that our words and actions would overflow with good deeds and kindness and grace and gospel. Let us be doers of the word today in light of what you're going to proclaim, not hearers only. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus, God's people said. I learned something a couple weeks ago at Starbucks. I was sitting at Starbucks in Roseville because it's close to the drop-off kids' uh, childcare where I take the littles. And I'm sitting there and I'm working on the sermon, working on some emails. When things turned south, fast, um, I saw the bottom of my cup. That's what happened. And um, I I know you know what that feels like. Thing. God, why have you abandoned me? Kind of thing. And uh, so, since I've been sitting there about an hour, hour and a half or something, and I was going to be there for hours more, I thought, well, I don't need to waste paper, right? So I'll just take my cup up there and ask for a refill and pay her the two ninety five, what have you. Um, blame inflation, not them. Anyway, yes, I just said two ninety five for regular coffee. And the guy rings me up for 50 cents. I know, right? That's how you know God loves you. Um, And I said, oh, it's only 50 cents. And he says, oh, yeah, refill. He said, you've been here the whole time. You didn't leave. Refills on Pike are just 50 cents. Get out. 50 cents? Cheap at twice the price. And I'll have you know, I planned the rest of my day according to what I just discovered. I could stay here for a minute. Hey, I ought to drink a gallon of this stuff before we're done. Hey. And because I'm a nerd like that, I'm immediately thinking, I know that it's like 83 to 86 cents every time you swipe your card. They have to pay MasterCard or Visa almost a dollar. So they're losing money. Anyway, okay, thank you for this gracious piece of information and gracious price. I'm all about it. This is wonderful. Um, Anybody besides me ever stumbled across something and it feels subjectively, it feels like this is true now because you just discovered it, but it was always objectively true? 
like if you were born blind and Jesus healed you, you would be aware of reality that was always objectively true. Does that make sense? If you were born unable to walk and Jesus healed you, you could now experience things with gravity and balance that were always objectively true, but you just didn't know. That makes sense? Okay, so introduce yourself to a couple of folks next to you. What is something you've learned about Jesus that was always true, but you just didn't see it at first? What was something you found out about Jesus? It's always been true, but you just didn't see it at first. Introduce yourself to a couple of folks. I'll give you a minute to talk. All right, let's pull it back together. Hope you got to make a new friend. Here's what I started sharing three weeks ago here in our journey through Acts and and what I'm gonna keep repeating because it's going to repeat itself in the text. We see the early church of Jesus Christ stumbling upon by the mercy of God, all kinds of things that are true about God and the universe that were always true, and they didn't know. Pentecost is probably the greatest example, the Spirit filling the church. This has always been true. God has always been powerful, the Holy Spirit. God's eternal plan was always that he would permanently indwell the church, not temporarily as we had under the old covenant. Um, And then as it relates to the gospel going out, If I didn't make that clear a couple weeks ago, let me reiterate. Acts 1.8 is the table of contents for the entire book. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. The rest of the book is gonna show the progression of the gospel, the good news that Jesus died to save sinners like you and me, is gonna move from Jerusalem outworld. We're gonna even see it in Rome before the book is over. Uh, That is what God's doing. Something that's always been true and is still true in 2023, and I'm preaching to you now, preaching to me now, not you, so don't worry about it. Because your faith is stronger than mine, so it's gonna be fine. The power for vibrant, Jesus-centered, spirit-filled, evangelistic ministry has always been there, period. Always. I was meditating on this a little bit this morning, and I realized, you know, For those of you who are Christians, you could say, theologically, this would be airtight. The day you got saved was the first time you loved Jesus, right? Those go together. I was his enemy, but now I love him. Well, he saved you. And yet, whether you've been walking with Jesus for four weeks, five years, 12 years, 50 years, I still wake up in the morning going, man, I I don't feel like I'm loving Jesus very well right now. This is still a journey, isn't it? So I have loved Jesus for the first time, and in a general sense, I do love Jesus, but I still have to stir affection in my heart. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Anybody sung that one? Okay. And the filling of the Holy Spirit might be pretty similar. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit the moment I loved Jesus the first time. I have the Holy Spirit. It's a down payment of future glory. But who here will testify? You are a Christian, and you know for a fact 
you've got a master's degree in not submitting to the Holy Spirit sometimes, right? Just because he's in me doesn't mean I'm not fighting him. Just because he's in me doesn't mean I'm not choosing apathy, right? This is why it is so gracious that in Ephesians 5, Paul says, do not be filled with much wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. I grew up Baptist, so that was just a, a verse about how evil it was if you touched alcohol. They never talked about Jesus making alcohol in his first miracle. That was a side note. The point that Paul is making is when we have too much alcohol, we give over, are you ready? Control over ourselves over to it. That is how Paul is trying to say what the spirit-filled life looks like. Until you go, man, I know me and that wasn't me. The words I just said, that wasn't me. That was way too gracious. Anybody been a little bit freaked out that something they said or did, they're just like, I know myself, I know my sin, and what I just did was like, that was God. I, I, I wouldn't have made that choice. I would have said something way more selfish. But instead, what, what came out was amazing. This seems to be the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I want to put it this way before us over and over again. We're going to see this at Pentecost. Gladly submitting to the Holy Spirit's leadership has always been the foundation of seeing a great harvest. Always. When we lose hope, God, I'm never going to figure out how to share the gospel with my friend. God, I am terrified to share the gospel with my coworker. Uh, what if we found out, and I think we're gonna find this throughout the book, what if the power has always been there? Like, what if Jesus' relationship to his church through the Holy Spirit has not fundamentally changed since the book of Acts? What if he's still offering his church to be filled with the Holy Spirit, come to a place of um, worship and praise and adoration, which we see in this text, uh, a place that we are empowered, and miraculous signs and wonders included, and receive a boldness? Because what we do, you and I, we're really good at looking at the symptoms and addressing symptoms. And... I know very few Christians, in 38 years I've met very few Christians who would just raise their hand and say, I consistently have the boldness that I need to share the gospel. Most Christians are in a totally different place of either I'm objectively, I'm completely terrified, or I've had a few bright moments where I got to share the gospel. Most of us are willing to say, there's just a struggle and I'm not, not operating in the boldness that I wish. I think this book is going to show us, this text is gonna show us, to reverse engineer. We do not have a bold evangelistic witness, or rather, even farther than that, we don't have effective evangelistic witness. We wanna see people love Jesus, and we don't even know where to start, right? We want effective evangelistic ministry. That's gonna require a bold proclamation that terrifies me. The boldness comes from power that only comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit. See how we reverse engineered that? That's what our brother Luke is giving us over and over in this book. Uh, gladly submitting, deeply, consistently going, Spirit fill me, Spirit lead me, help me to treasure Christ above all else. How many of you guys know that you don't fight sin by focusing on the sin? 
you focus on Jesus and treasure him above all else and you find it harder to sin, that's a thing, including the sin of cowardice. I'm preaching to me now. Cowardice is a sin. We know that. Are we willing to admit that to ourselves? And our sin is going to mean, if we stay in it, the rocks are going to cry out for my friend to get saved because I'm sitting here on the sidelines. I'm giving in to the cowardice. And here's the bad news. The sermon is just now starting. Point number one, grab your pen. God told us the harvest is huge. Pentecost is all about harvest. This was a holiday before the Holy Spirit came. Back in Leviticus 23, where are my notes? In Exodus 23, 16, is where God said, hey, here are the three festivals I want all of Israel to celebrate. And this particular one, Pentecost is just a Greek word, five weeks after Passover, where we were to gather and celebrate, and something really cool that if you've got your paper notes in front of you, you already see this, God commanded that two loaves of bread be presented before him as an offering on this day. If you've got a background in church, you know the weirdest part of that is that those loaves were supposed to have yeast in them. Where are my church kids at? What does yeast represent? Sin. It was a symbol of sin, and so almost all the time when bread is commanded to be baked and used in the old Jewish structure, it almost always was without yeast. This time, God says years in advance, you know what, I, what kind of harvest I want? I want two sinful peoples. I want Jew and Gentile, and I want them for myself. That's what I want. So when we see the Holy Spirit fill first Jews, but then go out to non-Jews, Jesus is going to save everybody? Are you serious? Well, rewind the clock three years. Why does your teacher eat with sinners and tax collectors? <laughs> so three years earlier, we saw Jesus hanging out with the people, the religious elite said you're not supposed to hang out with. Over 1,600 years later, we already saw God literally leaving breadcrumbs saying, I am going to love the whole world. Same thing he said to Abraham, through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed and not just my chosen people. So it is on this day where two sinful people are regularly held up as this prophetic image of what God is going to do. It is on this day where the father, in the partnership with the son, decides this is the day we're going to send our Holy Spirit and start the harvest. We're going to start the gathering in. We're going to gather from every tribe and tongue and nation, we're going to, back to John 4, we're going to find those who will worship in spirit and in truth. We're going to declare truth to them, the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? This is all about a harvest. Okay? And he told us in advance that it was going to be bigger than we could handle I put these in the text so you don't have to turn there. Just stay in uh, Acts 2. We'll get back to it. Jesus traveled throughout, sorry, through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Side note. I know just enough Greek to order a falafel, but I happen to know this one. Compassion, spalagma. 
Jesus is moved deeply in his bowels, almost to a point of pain. He loves you so much. That's the idea of the word there. Compassion that hurts. And I want to point this out because we've got it in our, one of our vision statements. Brothers and sisters, compassion is not the selfless action that makes you feel good about yourself. Compassion is giving till it hurts. There has to be a cost involved. And this is the model that Jesus, his heart is breaking for people who are apart from God. That's got to be the root of compassion. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. In common parlance, we oftentimes use the word great to mean good or awesome. Is that what Jesus is saying? This harvest is awesome. Wow, I'm so excited. Is that what Jesus is saying? No, he's using it in a more traditional sense of the word. It is large. It is bigger than you. How do we know Jesus is saying it's bigger than you? His practical application, the end of his sermon is this. Pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Is that a sermon by itself? Are we in charge of the harvest or is the Lord in charge of the harvest? Does that allow you to sleep a little bit better, Christian? We are commanded to joyfully and faithfully throw seed and we don't get to control the outcome, right? And we don't have to control the outcome. We throw seed and we pray. We throw seed and we pray and we teach and we explain first Corinthians 3, but only the Lord brings the growth. Okay, so Jesus tells you, ask the Lord who's in charge of the harvest to send more workers into whose fields? His workers, his fields, his harvest. Woo, I can sleep. While I'm awake, I want to work like a dog, but boy, can I sleep like one too. His harvest, his fields, his redeemed people. And he's saying to 12, maybe to 72, this is going to be bigger than you guys. So apparently evangelistic ministry is not just telling people about Jesus. Think of Peter, James, and John. They get this miraculous catch and the nets are about to break, if you know the story. Two guys are pulling and they have to do what? They have to call two other guys over to help. So apparently, while I'm telling my friend about Jesus, I'm like, Lord, you got to send more workers. <laughs> right? And then it gets really fun if you stop and think through what this looks like practically. Who's going to tell people about Jesus except someone who believes Jesus is the Savior of the world? So there's a cycle here, a disciple cycle. Jesus, would you please save some more people so that they will be overwhelmed with joy and turn around and tell others about you? There's a cycle there. God, would you please, by your gospel, allow the lost to connect in an authentic relationship with you by your cross, that they would grow in Christian maturity, serve others faithfully, and then go tell people about Jesus so that they could connect in an authentic relationship with God? You see the cycle? Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers. So I'm going to tell my friend about Jesus and I'm at the same time going to be praying under my breath, oh Lord, we need more. We need more workers. There are some important points in cinematic history where this point is really well illustrated. Like 
you're going to need a bigger boat. The hero does not respond with fear, although that would be appropriate. He didn't say, there's no hope in our fishing endeavor. He says, you're going to need a bigger boat. Right? In our flesh, are we more likely to just quit? It's not going to work. This, thing, this, this task is too large. This, this harvest is way too great. I'm overwhelmed. I'm going to go home and watch TV. In case you think I'm making it up, that's exactly what we did. Jesus had a, a group of 5,000 just adult men, let alone women and children, and Jesus turns to the 12 and says, you feed them. Did we pass the test in that moment? Did we rock star faith at that moment? Yes, Lord, I will take the Lunchable. I will bless it. No, we didn't do that. We, we responded with logic. God, if we had six months' wages, I forget what the, the amount is, we couldn't feed all of these people. We just responded with math. We responded by showing Jesus the line item in the budget that he apparently wasn't aware of. Anybody here ever opened your budget and you go, Lord, I'm not sure you're aware of some things? <laughs> oh, just me? Sometimes all we see is the teeth. And we go, this is going to be big, and this is going to be hard, and this is going to be scary, and I don't know what to do. And he said, hey, I told you in advance, ask the Lord of the harvest you're going to need help. It's not impossible. It's just bigger than you. Am I, is my faith not inherently weak when I see something bigger than me and I go, oh, it's impossible, throw my hands up, right? This is the right reason I've been militantly trying to get you guys into groups for five years. You're trying to live the Christian life alone, some of you. Silly Christian. All the spiritual gifts described in the New Testament and you don't get to benefit from them until you're in relationship with folks. And so, like, get in a group, get in a group, make some friends. You're gonna need a bigger boat for what God has for you. The Christian life, it's gonna be a little bit bigger than you, let alone the harvest. The harvest is bigger than you. So, Pentecost was already a celebration 1,600 years before the Holy Spirit came and it's, Still been a celebration for 2,000 more years. So let's talk about ways we can celebrate. Note takers, celebrate the harvest by asking God to send workers. Prayer doesn't always have to be a desperate plea like, oh Lord, the world's gonna fall apart if you don't do this. It can be, Lord, we're faithfully, sorry, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, full of faith. Full of faith, full of joy, asking you to do what we know you're gonna say yes to. God, send more workers. That doesn't have to be a, a fear-filled prayer. That can be a joy-filled and faith-filled prayer. Of course he's going to do it. He loves the lost way more than I ever could. How many of you guys know Jesus loves your sister more than you do? You love her so much it hurts. And he loves her more. You want to celebrate the harvest? Do exactly what Jesus said. Father, send workers Pray that prayer because Jesus told us to. He's God. Back to the, my rant a few weeks back about Jesus being king. When he's king, we bow and we obey. We don't enter into this extended dialogue where we try to get Jesus to win us over to the idea, right? He said, 
ask the Father to send more workers. Brothers and sisters, let's work this one into our prayer regimen. Wouldn't that be a beautiful gift to get that gift from the book of Acts where all of us work this into our rhythm every morning? God sends more workers. That might put our heart where God wants our heart to be. Second, God told us that the harvest is now. God told us that the harvest is huge. God told us that the harvest is now. Two thousand years later, we are very tempted. Here's your fifty cent word for the day: eschatology. Here's your seventy-five cent word for the day: overrealized eschatology. Here's another one: underrealized eschatology. Let me break that into English, but this is critically important for how we approach the Book of Acts. We've had Christians have had two thousand years in analyzing not just prophetic literature, but specifically the Book of Acts. What is God doing? How is He doing it? How is His church age going to conduct itself? How is the church age going to be drawn to a close where God judges the world and people are sorted into heaven and hell? How is this all going to happen? Some things the Bible is very clear about. Some things the Bible doesn't address at all. And then there are a number of things that are really wildly one way or the other, depending on how you look at it and how you interpret it. One, uh, a couple of, I believe, a couple of errors, or at least things we need to be uh, aware of, an overrealized eschatology is when you take texts and promises of what God's going to do in the distant future, and, and, and you know, and I say, when I say that there are from the distant future, I mean nine out of ten Christians will agree that's in the future. And you drag it into the present saying, we ought to be able to do this now. So an overrealized eschatology is like, well, um, victory over sin, let's just be done, let's just stop sinning. That sounds ludicrous, but there are waves of Christians that have, that have t- talked this way. Victory over death. Your kid died. Just command your kid to be raised from the dead. Do it. If you've got enough faith, it'll work. Right? Like the kingdom is now. This also, uh, I won't get into all of it, but it is taking stuff where a lot of brothers and, Christian, uh, brothers and sisters are going, man, that's the future, and you drag it into the now. One that I, I was raised in a tradition, Southern Baptists, that are, have often been accused, I think rightly, of an underrealized eschatology, meaning God has promised so much more than what you're living in. Um, we have been tempted to look at the book of Acts and say the terrible, terrible words of God moved back then, but God doesn't move that way anymore. It's this defeated, deflated, man, we were just unlucky. We weren't born when all the action was happening. If we were born back then, we'd get to see the hand of God. But I wasn't. I'm the unlucky one, shrug. That's an underrealized eschatology where we are taking the book of Acts and kind of shoving it into the past. You know what the Bible says about itself? All scripture is God-breathed. All of it is useful for teaching, correction, reproof, okay? And we would, if we are not careful... If we take the book of Acts as prescriptive, meaning it's telling us exactly what to do, not a historical text, then we're going to try to do the exact same things, and we're going to run into a brick wall over and over again going, why can't I do the exact same thing all the time? But to take it the opposite way is equally futile to say we're going to ignore the early church's power. We're going to ignore the filling of the Holy Spirit. We're going to ignore all these things. 
there are mistakes that can be made in both directions, and we need to be really careful and ask for the Spirit's leadership as we study this book and go, Lord, what does, what does being joyfully submissive to the Spirit look like right now in 2023? What does it look like? Because just depending on which group of Christians you're hanging out with, depending on which book you pick up, which YouTube video you're watching, you could find yourself hanging out with a group that thinks the book of Acts is almost irrelevant or hanging out with a group that says, you should personally have the power to do all of these godlike things. Why can't you do it? Come on, why can't you do it? Uh-huh, what's wrong with you? There are problems in both directions. And yet, somewhere in the middle, Jesus is saying, you know the harvest is now, right? It's not back then, and it's not just in the future. The harvest is now, because you, as a finite being, me as a finite being, we can only hear the word of God now, and we can only obey it now. Does that make sense? You cannot obey the, the word of God in 1971, and you cannot obey the word of God in 2025. You are bound by time. I am bound by time. So the church age going on for 2,000 years before you, going on for however long it's going to go after today, that's God's business. That's God's business. All we can do is respond to the word today. The harvest, brothers and sisters, is now. The time to share the gospel with your friend is now. The time to pray bold prayers is now. Don't shove it into the past and say, oh, that's how God used it. No, don't do that. The harvest is now. Look what Jesus said. You know the saying, this is John 4, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. Do we believe Jesus? Do we think he's a liar? You and I are very tempted if we're Christians to go, man, everybody's upset when you talk about religion. My friends don't want to hear about you. They're upset. But what did Jesus say? Anybody feel that tension? You might experience one thing and Jesus is saying something else. Jesus doesn't lie, does he? Maybe I forgot that there is rocky soil. Maybe I forgot there is such a thing and some people are not gonna respond, but I keep throwing seed. Maybe it's as simple as that. Who knows? The harvesters are paid good wages. Do you know God, God your father intends to bless you for evangelistic work? He wants to bless you. The fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others have already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. He's just saying, hey, there's been preaching before you. There's gonna be work that's gonna be done later. This is revealing, again, the communal nature of the harvest. Who here knows for a fact, you don't have to raise your hand, you know for a fact that you shared the good news of Jesus with somebody. And 10 years later, somebody's calling you up. Guess what? I became a Christian and I wanted to tell you. Wow, that's great. What happened? Well, I was in a Sunday school class because I was exploring Christianity and they explained, and it's like, wow. And for the first time ever, I heard the gospel. And you're sitting there kind of offended. You're like, I, I explained this to you a decade ago. Okay? One sows and the other harvests. Who here knows you got to 
lead somebody to Jesus and they committed their life to Jesus right there in front of you. And when you heard their stories, like, oh, they've heard the gospel many times over the years. This is when the spirit lit the fire. I got to be there for the harvest, right? It's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. And that's the greatest news ever. The harvest is huge. The harvest is now. What do you do if for whatever reason, it doesn't matter what the reason really, you're in the starting block of a race and seven other folks have taken off running, but you didn't hear the starting gun. So they hear the gun and they take off and you're still in the blocks. What are some likely responses? Shock, surprise, disbelief. I didn't hear it. Are you guys sure? You guys are crazy. Or probably shame. Why didn't I hear that? Back to where we started the sermon. This has always been true. I just didn't realize it till now. What if there are other Christians that knew the harvest is now and they've been living a joy-filled life of evangelism and I've been missing out and the word of God in May of 2023 came alive to me and I realized that the harvest is now but I've been missing out. You, brothers and sisters, when we have truth revealed to us by Jesus through his word, we can sit there and wallow in the shame of the past that we haven't obeyed previously or... We can do what disciples do. Jesus says, follow me, and we get up and drop our nets and go. That's my call to you. It's my call to me. To whatever degree we have found ourselves in cowardice and disobedience and fear, there is no point in wallowing in the past. If you had one amen, and it was sitting in your pocket all Sunday long, and you were waiting for a chance, I'm going to try it one more time. Is God honored by you and I wallowing in our sinful past, or is he honored when we get up and obey? Brothers and sisters, let's get up and go. Okay, so we missed it. Join the club. There are all kinds of true things about Jesus' kingdom that maybe we're just now realizing as we dive into Scripture. It's going to happen again next week. It's going to happen the week after that. It's going to happen as you study the scriptures for yourself. It's going to happen 30 years from now. You're going to see something about God and his kingdom that you just go, oh, I feel like this is the first time I've ever seen this. Testimony, in case you're newer to Jesus. I've been following Jesus for 34 years. Every single time I open the Bible, I see something I have never seen before, period. So join the club. There are no dumb questions in the kingdom. I've read through here, this thing a million times and I, that's in there? Because this book is spiritual, it is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It is working on the Greg Kaiser that's currently reading it. The Greg Kaiser, the, that Greg Kaiser of 2017 wasn't ready for that truth. Does that make sense? He wasn't ready for it. He didn't have the humility. There were other things he needed to learn. Who knows what the reason? And our God is faithful and just and, and, and merciful in the way he teaches us exactly what we need in the moment. 
That was for free. Anyway, so to look at the book of Acts, to look at Pentecost as a harvest, we go, man, the Holy Spirit is here to get the church moving in evangelism. How can we take our next step? If we're gonna embrace this truth, the harvest is now, well, we celebrate the harvest by repenting of our delays. Repent is not wallowing in shame, it's turning around. Turn around, go, let's go, come on. I had my excuses, I had my reasons, I had my, what I was delaying. Um, I'm not gonna name him in case he'd be embarrassed, but I got to hang out with a brother yesterday who very humbly said, man, I'm trying to share the gospel with my friend. Here's a barrier related to some things that my friend is throwing up as what I would call atheistic excuses. And we got to talk shop and work through, hey, here's how you can answer some of those questions here, how you, you can serve this person. Brothers and sisters, your delay doesn't have to be sin. It could be like, I'm not sure how to answer this question. It could be very practical. And this is why we have to spend time together talking shop about real things. We have to spend time together. In our groups, the reason we set aside 40 minutes for how is your week and how can I pray for you in response is that you might be doing the Lord's work all week long. Like, here's my friend at work and I'm not sure how to answer him. Could you guys help me? Could you pray for me? Equip me, train me, do something. I need help. We have to be together for that. Celebrate the harvest by repenting of whatever your delay might be. Just get the resources you need. The resources that you need are in this book and in this room. Amen? Okay. Third, God told us that the harvest is a major reason for him giving us the Holy Spirit. Not the only reason, but it is the predominant reason put forward in the book of Acts. Why does God send his Holy Spirit? Ezekiel 36, that all the nations might know him and revere him. Why does God send his Holy Spirit? Something we're gonna harp on in in a couple of weeks. Creation, uh, Genesis 1-2, the Spirit of God hovering above the waters, he's creating something. Hovering above and leading his people through the wilderness, he's creating something. Shows up at Pentecost, uh, something that looks like tongues of flame hovering over his people. He's creating, there's a new creation that is happening of the church. And yet, the first thing we see is that the power that manifests itself in people speaking languages they do not know is that people from all over these 17 or so different regions that speak different languages, they are drawn in, and then they get to hear Peter's sermon that shows up starting in verse 14. The gospel going out to the nations is a major reason why Jesus sends us his Holy Spirit. I want you to imagine a guy in his late 20s and his dad cannot get him to move out and he's talking with him about life, this failure to launch. He says, son, so I'm, I'm really excited about that new job you got and you've been there for I think over a month now. You've had a couple of paychecks, right? Yeah, Dad, yeah, it's, it's been great, I love it. Cool. Um, so I imagine that income has given you some pretty cool opportunities that you didn't have before, right? Yeah, Dad, totally, yeah, the income's great. What kind of things have you been able to do with said income? Oh, well, it's, I mean, you know, I feel better now that I'm paying my car insurance. 
you know, and uh, I can go out to eat more often with friends. That's cool. I like that. Is there anything else you ever thought of doing with the income you have now? Oh, Dad, I tithe. Don't worry about it. I, I, tithe, I tithe to the church. Son, that's great. I'm so glad you tithe. That's great. Is there anything else <laughs> that you think, right? It's maybe different for each child, but there is a point where you're like, hey, the reason I encouraged you to go get that job was so that maybe you'd want to go see the world. Oh, yeah, I was thinking about traveling. What do you think of longer-term travel? Somewhere else. And we're going to change the locks. And I'm going to chase your mom around the house. Like, tomorrow. <laughs> What if from the dad's perspective, like, hey, you got this job, I encouraged you to get this job, and a major reason, those things are great, but a major reason is that you would leave. Go away. I love you, but go away. What if the church were to really embrace that we do have the Holy Spirit as a down payment of future glory? That's absolutely true. What if we were to embrace that we do have the Holy Spirit for righteous living? Absolutely true. What if we have the Holy Spirit so they were empowered with gifts that could bless and strengthen the church? Absolutely true. What if the book of Acts is telling us, you know one of the major reasons that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit? What if one of the major reasons was that you'd have a vibrant evangelistic life personally and as a church family? What if actually that was one of the main points? You do not have the Holy Spirit so you feel good about yourself. You have the Holy Spirit to do Something. So what this means is, and we've already hit on this, and we're going to fill in these blanks again. The Spirit fills Christians, empowers Christians, gives boldness to Christians to gather a harvest of people. That is one of the big points of the Spirit in our life. Fills, empowers, and gives boldness. That's a big part of the point. So here's your next step. Sorry, I'm running long. We're almost done. Celebrate the harvest by sharing the gospel with someone on your My Five list. We talked about this two or three weeks ago. I want to repeat it because if Pepsi has to say 5,000 times to get you to buy something, I'm going to have to say it a few times too. If you love Jesus Christ and you call Foundation Home, I want to encourage you to keep the names of five friends in your Bible at all times. Somewhere where you're going to see every morning and ask God to send his Holy Spirit and ignite a flame in your friend's life, that they would love Jesus for the first time. Maybe you put family in there, maybe coworkers, maybe classmates. But we cannot honestly say that I want my friends to meet Jesus if we're not gonna ask God to do his part, right? Share the gospel with somebody who's on your My Five list. Pray every day for those five. Oh, but ask God to give you the opportunity to share the gospel. Last exercise, we're going to do something weird. I encourage you to close your eyes and I want you to envision something. I promise, if you keep your eyes open, this is going to be hard. Right now, the deacons are going around and they're searching for your wallet because the offering wasn't high enough. So, um, no, it's fine. Close your eyes. 
I want you to envision walking into heaven. You're at the gates of heaven. You see Jesus. He's beautiful. He's saying, well done, good and faithful servant. He's welcoming you in. And just before you take a step toward Jesus, I want you in your mind's eye to look over your shoulder just behind you. Who is behind you, following you into heaven? Who's following you? The time to ask this question is while you're still living. And so we ask it now. Who is going to go to heaven? In part because they were following you. You got to say as Paul did, follow me as I follow Christ. Don't, don't follow in any way other than that what is completely holy like Jesus. Who right now is following you toward the nail-pierced hands of Jesus and an eternity with him? Is there nobody behind you? Is there a whole crowd behind you? Is there a handful behind you? Lord Jesus, we take this image and we entrust it to you. God, lead us toward obedience in a bold evangelistic witness that honors your Holy Spirit's presence in our life. Teach us to pray to the Lord of the harvest, to trust the Lord of the harvest, and to obey the Lord of the harvest. God, thank you for sending your Holy Spirit. In the great name of Jesus, foundation prayed, we said, amen. amen. Love you guys so much. Have a great week.